And Solomon measured its length, 20 cubits, and the width, 20 cubits, before the nave. And he said to me, This will be the most holy place. And so it was that King Solomon, the wisest man who ever lived, came to build the most holy building in all of architecture. A building so full of mystery that Isaac Newton studied it obsessively. A building the Freemasons based their entire creed around. The most sacred site for the oldest of monotheistic religions. And according to the ancient Israelites, the very dwelling place of God. Well, this is season four, episode one of Blind History, which is brought to you by Taylor Blinds and Shutters, my co-host as ever, the uh, history nerd like me, uh, Anthony Medera. It's so good to to start a brand new season, Anthony. We've had lots of people complaining that they had to wait between seasons, including our biggest eight-year-old fan, who's someone called Max, who sent me a, an email just the other day and a video to say these are his suggestions of what he wants to hear in the next season. So we've got all our work ahead of us. Gareth, I'm also very, very excited. I was itching to to start season four. And, and you know, when you talk about one of our biggest supporters, that's very, very exciting. It's, you know, eight years old and uh, listening to it and also giving us direction. I think that's what that, that's what drives us. That's uh, amazing. Um, so it's it's really the, the reason we've decided to do a fourth season is because there's so much history we haven't done yet. And there's lots of exciting stuff. We've actually decided on a few of the people that we want to cover in this season. But of course, if you have suggestions, you can always get hold of us and let us know who you'd like to hear about. So today we're talking about ancient Israel, which is a, a massive category of, of personalities and of periods in that part of the world, the Levant. Obviously, there are three sources for ancient Israel and its history. And, and the one is obviously the Bible, the Hebrew Bible. The other is archaeology, which is increasingly becoming important because we can't verify much of what is in the Bible. And then there are non-biblical sources too. You know, the Romans kept pretty good records. The Egyptians kept decent records. But in those periods where those kingdoms and empires were in decline, they neglected to keep good records. And those are precisely the times where characters like King David and King Solomon came to be. The first mention I could find of the word Israel comes from a tablet um, that was crafted by the the courtiers of Pharaoh Merneptah in Egypt. And he mentions laying waste to Israel. And that's really the first mention of it. Of, of course, it wasn't a kingdom at that stage, but it was a collection of tribes. And I don't know about you, Ant, but you told me about a book, which I've, I'm looking at right now by Simon Seabag uh, Montefiore. He's a great historian called Jerusalem. This thing absorbed me completely. Yeah, me too. It's incredible. And it, it starts right at the very, very beginning. I mean, it's 3,000 years ago and and even some more. And it's always very difficult to know what's myth and what is truth um, because it's just such a long time ago. Well, according to the earliest sources, and some of these are biblical, the, the original city of Zion, long before it became the city of David and then Jerusalem, was basically the hill of Mount Moriah, Moriah. Uh, where Abraham was ordered by God to sacrifice his eldest son. And that was, that was supposedly the first time that that mountain in the middle of an otherwise unremarkable part of the world became the holiest site on earth. From there on, obviously, a lot of it, as you say, is shadowy and mythological. 
But um, there is reasonable evidence to show that that area was already inhabited 5,000 years before Christ. Yeah, 100%. They, even there was a mention, Gareth, you could correct me if I'm wrong, about even Adam and Eve being around that area when they they worshipped later on. They would say this is the place of, of Abraham and Adam and Eve. Wow. Look, uh, what we do know for sure is that the first time Jerusalem became important was really during the reign of King David. And and just before that, it had been a place that was more or less inhabited by people called Canaanites, uh, the land of Canaan, which was promised to the Jews upon their exodus from, from Egypt uh, under Moses. Moses never actually went into the promised land. He had to look at it from Mount Nebo. And that, again, you've got to give us a little bit of a break here when it comes to what's mythology and what's history, because there are things being discovered all the time, which back up some of the stories in in the Bible. And there are also things which obviously do no service to those things. But David was uh, supposedly a, a, a shepherd and later a, a warrior of some renown. He certainly had musical talents. So he was a remarkable kid. His father was, was a, a man called Jesse and the prophet Samuel was directed by the people of of the tribes of what was then Israel um, to look for a leader. They needed a king. He chose a guy called Saul, who was a warrior. And Saul was was good at conquering, but not much else. And he also had uh, probably some kind of mental illness or certainly a mean streak. And Samuel kept looking and he found the, the one son of Jesse, this kid called David, and saw that he had remarkable talents. And he looked, according to Samuel, to be godly. And what we know about him is that he defeated this giant called Goliath at a massive battle. Uh, Goliath was a Philistine. And that word has come to mean people who are uncultured and people who have no sophistication in modern parlance. Um, but apparently this was, this was a battle that was, that was won because we know that there is evidence that Israel at that stage had started to conquer some small areas in that part of what is Palestine today. Yeah. And um, just, just a little bit of um, an interesting thing about the, the name of Philistine. It does talk about, you know, just uncultured, et cetera, but it just so happened that the Philistines mm-hmm. were, were a lot more cultured than, than the sheep yeah. boys from, from the top of the hill. So it was quite <laughs> ironic. Yeah, and they were better warriors. Yeah, correct. So it was quite, it's quite ironic that it, that it came out like that. After all of this, which is conjectural and really the only history of David that we have is from the Bible up until they discovered one inscription in 1993 on a tablet called the Tel Dan tablet, which mentions the house of David, not as a place, but as a dynasty. And so that gives reasonable backing. It certainly helps the case that David was a real man and that he actually existed and that his family continued to reign in ancient Israel for some time. But evidence for all of this other stuff is quite scarce. Of course, we, we know that David was a military man. He conquered various areas around there, whether his kingdom was huge or small is up for a huge amount of, of argument too. But after him, and we'll get back to David perhaps a little bit later on, because there were stories about him falling in love with Bathsheba and how he wrote Psalms and, and many other of the books of the Bible. But um, after that, Solomon took over, which, uh, and Solomon was not his eldest son. Um, Solomon was chosen because he was pure. And the reason for that is that David had wanted to build a temple for God on Mount Zion. And God said, no, I'm afraid not. You've, you've just killed too many people. You've spilt too much blood. You're not a pure person. Um, and it was left to Solomon to do that. Yeah, and Solomon plays such a big role. Um, I think he's 
the greatest king, as they call him. Well, he was supposedly the wisest and he was supposedly the purest. And God asked him, what do you want? And when he said wisdom, God was so impressed that he gave it to him himself. He said, here you are. You're now the wisest man that will ever live. Because most of the people who God had said, what do you want? Had said, I want to live forever. Or I want military victories. or I want you to kill my enemies. So he was quite impressed by that. And Solomon managed through God's good graces to build the first temple in Jerusalem, a site that is considered by Jews to have been the most holy site of all because it contained the Ark of the Covenant and all subsequent temples built on that site, including the second one of which only the Wailing Wall remains, didn't have the Ark of the Covenant in it. This Ark of the Covenant deserves a, an episode on its own, but it was essentially the, the wooden chest that was built by the Israelites leaving Egypt at the foot of, of the mountain where God gave the tablets of the commandments to Moses. And the Ark of the Covenant was a very holy relic. You know, it's it's probably one of the most searched for items in archaeology. Uh, people are, are just obsessed with trying to find this thing because it was meant to be the thing in which God lived on earth. Um, between the wings of these two cherubs on its lid was something called the mercy seat from which God himself spoke and lived. And only once a year could the high priest of Israel see God and look upon the Ark of the Covenant. People who tried to carry it were struck dead. It had enormous power. It brought down the walls of Jericho, according to the Bible. But either way, the search for this incredible artifact continues to this day. It's one of the most um, mysterious things in the world. And more than likely, Gareth, it's been destroyed, you know, or it's so difficult to say because there was uh, Jerusalem was flattened so, so many times. And it's, it's such a tumultuous um, history. It's so very difficult to figure out what actually happened to it. Well, it was supposed to contain the two tablets and then Aaron's rod and a pot of manna, which was the stuff that God let fall from heaven to feed the, the people in the desert. But either way, it was, it was considered the most holy place and the most holy thing on earth. And to this day, the Jewish people, the Christian people, the Muslim people revere the site of where the ark once was as being the most holy place on earth. So it's it's quite incredible. And obviously Jerusalem, as you say, was flattened. First of all, it was besieged by the Assyrians in 705 BC. And by the way, under Solomon, the kingdom had split into a north and south kingdom. Israel was actually the northern kingdom and Judah, where Jerusalem is, was the southern kingdom. And they fought over taxes and labor and ordinary stuff. But um, by the time the Assyrians besieged the place in 705 BC. It was really quite a weak state. They say again, because of the presence of the Ark, the Assyrians failed to take Jerusalem. That doesn't seem to have gotten the way of Nebuchadnezzar of Babylon. In 587 BC, he ended the kingdom and he took the people of Judah into slavery and took them off to Babylon, which famously, you know, the story of Daniel in the Bible comes from there and all the rest. Um, that was also the moment at which the ark stopped being mentioned in any way, shape, or form. But Gareth, if I just go back to the three kings, I saw obviously the first king of Israel, um, because prior to that it was just it was judges, and obviously this, you know, in, in the biblical sense, they wanted to appoint a king on earth, so this made God very cross. And we know about Saul, and he was bipolar. You mentioned a little bit earlier, so he. <laughs> He had a few challenges. I'm going to say also, if, if Saul is bipolar, it's worth saying that God at this point was a very cross 
God. Very. I mean, it was scary. <laughs> he, had no, he had no patience whatsoever. <laughs> None. And was completely unforgiving of almost every small infraction. I mean, you know, uh, David cheated with this woman called Bathsheba and God killed their eldest child. It's just he did not mess around. Yeah. But although having said that, David did, he did, uh, he managed to sort of move the husband of Bathsheba out the oh. way. Yeah, he sent him to war. Yeah, and in the front, right in the very front of the queue. Put him in the hottest part of the battle that he be smitten. Yeah. But if we just look at the three kings and we talk about Solomon and his reign, it was just, you know, if we look at it purely from a, from a historical perspective and at all the people we've looked at during blind history, I mean, this guy was impressive. I mean, he had through ingenious reforms and innovation, such as he, he improved the defense measures. He had a fleet of ships. Um, expansion of the royal court, financial windfalls from taxation and labor and and conscriptions. He is supposed to have been extremely wealthy, right? Yes, but what he did was his, his strategy was through marriages of he had se- apparently seven hundred wives and three hundred concubines, and he he just married from all different regions around, and that's what started building the trade routes from Egypt, from India, from the west, right across to the east into the Mediterranean and the Red Sea. So. So he was prolific, absolutely prolific in what he did. Yeah, there's no doubt that whoever this Solomon was and whether he was, we we still haven't got enough archaeological evidence to definitely say that there was a King Solomon between this and that date. I mean, they assume his reign would have followed David. So that's somewhere around, what, 970 BC. But he's supposed to have had this throne, which was a mechanical object which could move and and which had gears in it and it was made of gold and it had these beasts on the steps and it sounds like probably one of the most complicated machines ever described in ancient history and if it is true that this thing existed it was probably taken off to babylon um, when they eventually looted jerusalem uh, along with all the other treasures but that wouldn't be the first or the last time that jerusalem was flattened supposedly and we've covered him in one of our other episodes which is what's so nice about history is that you end up connecting the dots. Once the Jews had been captured in Babylon, within a few years, which, I mean, it could be a span of several decades, but they were eventually conquered by the Persians, who we've spoken about before. And King Cyrus or Emperor Cyrus the Great was the one who eventually released the Jews and said, you can go back to Jerusalem and start up your civilization again. Cyrus the Great was very much a person that allowed whoever whoever you wanted to to believe in or what religion you wanted to practice he didn't have a problem he wasn't he didn't enforce it and that actually i mean he was mentioned very very favorably in in biblical sense of what he uh, what he did and what he he stood for well the jews went back to jerusalem and after that obviously alexander conquered persia and we're talking over the span of a couple of hundred years here but there was a, a Seleucid empire established in Alexander's wake because Seleucus Nicator was the first uh, ruler there after, after Alexander. And until about the second century BC, the Seleucid empire was established. But then along came a guy called Simon Maccabeus. And this was the first time since Babylon had conquered Jerusalem that the Israelites, the people of that part of the world, the Jews, had their own Leadership. Do you want to tell us a little bit about the Maccabeans? So Alexander, who's one of my favorites, um, basically conquered the known world and even the unknown world at that time. But obviously he passed away at the age of 32. And correctly, as you said, 
his three generals, basically his, his empire was split between his generals and the ones that, that we're talking about were the Seleucid and also Ptolemy. So Ptolemy went on, he took over Egypt and he, he also took Alexander's body. His dynasty went right up to Cleopatra's time um, with Julius Caesar and Mark Antony. But they were fighting between him and the other general in the north were fighting for Judea and Seleucid won and Ptolemy fell away. And what happened was the later generations of his particular lineage, they started to look uh, poorly on the Jewish and they, they took away the autonomy. And first of all, the father, he's Antiochus III. He, um, he wasn't too strict in terms of what they did, but he tried to enforce them to stop circumcision and praying on the Sabbath. But his son was the one that really took all autonomy away from the Jews. It was Antiochus the fourth. Apparently they said he was a beautiful man, but he was unhinged. They say he was the Caligula of this particular region. And he just went in and he killed pigs on the altar in Jerusalem, in the Holy of Holies. It was just basically a complete heretic. Exactly. hundred percent. And then a lot of the Jews, obviously fearing for their lives, etc., they they're sort of following the Hellenicism. Sorry, I don't know if I pronounced that correct. Yeah, but the Hellenic beliefs. So they started taking on, you know, the works of Epicurus, for example. And Epicurean became slang for the kind of breakaway religion that was founded by the Maccabeans. Correct. And then basically there was the Maccabees, which they were called later, but their father, which is Matthias, he was actually, he, he saw one of the, the Jewish people that, that was now um, worshipping idols, um, and and there was also a member of the soldiers, and um, that that also was doing the same, and and so he killed them. He actually cut off the head of the Jew, and he killed the the soldier. And so now suddenly the Antiochus the fourth was very very upset. He sent a small little army out. He thought this should be quite easy. A couple of uh, shepherds with a few sheep and one or two men. This should be done quite easily. But Matthias uh, um, had five sons. And they managed to get quite a serious group of people together and, and a type of guerrilla warfare. And they decimated that small group. So then he himself came in and, and brought a bigger army. And they also once again decimated that. And they managed then to take back what, what they'd lost over the years uh, with the Seleucids and then re-cleanse Jerusalem. But at the time, Matthias was quite old and Judea was the strong one. He was the, the, the warrior brother, as you call it, um, because there were five brothers. And he was the one that really started gaining territory, almost to the stage similar to the time of Solomon. The interesting thing for me about that period is that essentially there could have been a turn to the left or a turn to the right for the Jewish religion. And it might have changed the whole course of human history, because if the Jews had turned towards Hellenism, it would have been a very different world that we might have inhabited today. And of course, it would have been a very different world for the Jews. And what happened with the with the Maccabees essentially is that they they reasserted the Jewish religion, and partly by forced conversion. So it, it didn't leave much option for the people who were still in that area and wanted to live. But it's an interesting part of the story. Of course, after that, the um, the Hasmonean dynasty, the Maccabees, was uh, more or less wiped out by Pompey in sixty three BC. When, when he, another, another person from our stories about Julius Caesar now, um, took over and Herod the Great was the last king. He was a puppet king, essentially between 73 BC and 4 BC. He built the second temple and he also built the amazing um, palace of Masada, which became a stronghold for the zealots 
in 73 AD. And that was really the last gasp of the Jewish people. Because after that, after the, the massacre at Masada, the Jewish people were desolated and they went on their diaspora. And really the Jews were strangers in foreign lands for the rest of their history until Israel was established in 1948. It's a, it's a long period to be wandering in the desert. It was a very long period. And, the, and that's why, you know, why I was so fascinated by the Maccabees. It's just, and it's not, wasn't the first time during that period that, the, you know, the small group of warriors managed to take down the might of, it was very similar to the Greeks taking out uh, the Persian kings. So he was called, the Judea was called the, the hammer because, you know, the way he was a proper warrior, he was killed in battle. But prior to that, and I mentioned earlier, the re-cleansing of the temple, and there was a story about the oil lamp that was basically ran out, but it carried on burning and kept the light going for eight days. And this, obviously, this miracle um, inspired the Hanukkah festival of lights, which Jewish people still celebrate religiously today. And that's basically the freedom from tyranny. And he was killed. And then his brother took over Jonathan, the cunning. What he did is all the conquests that his brother did, he started organizing. He, had, he was very diplomatic. And he started getting political balance in place. Um, he offered Judea's support. There was a lot that, that he'd organized in terms of how he was governing the region. Unfortunately, he was tricked and he was also killed. And then Simon, who actually became Simon the Great, which you referred to earlier, he was the youngest of the Maccabees and now the only surviving son. And he was the one that finally established what the dad and the brothers were all fighting for was the Hasmonean dynasty, which you mentioned earlier. I know we've skipped through a lot of the, the chapters of, of ancient Israel in quite a cursory way, but I think there's so much here and we wanted to squeeze it into an episode because, you know, Saul, David and Solomon, people know these names and they are venerated as, you know, holy saints in almost all the religions. But the, the fact that the story of the Jewish people in Israel is just so deep and so soulful and so connected to not only the geography of that area and the religion of that area and the fact that many battles were waged and great stories have come from it. But essentially, this is stuff that everybody learns in Bible study. It's stuff that is a central tenet of all three of the major monotheisms. And there isn't a person in, in the Western world who doesn't know about King David or King Solomon's wisdom or any of that stuff. It's really a beautiful story, if nothing else. And we are finding more and more evidence by the day that, that a lot of these stories turn out to actually have been historical fact. That's what's very exciting for me. But there was a fourth as well um, of the monotheism. It was the Rastafarian, the Queen of Sheba, which they believe is from modern Yemen, came to visit Solomon's kingdom and uh, she bought gold with, et cetera, et cetera. And I think there is a story, it could be a myth, whatever it is, that they had an intimate relationship and they had a child. And that child, um, later on, Hal Selassie was a descendant from that relationship that the Queen of Sheba and King Solomon had. And by the way, Ant, one of the things that makes Ethiopia interesting, and we'll cover that in a future episode, is that at Aksum in Ethiopia is a church which the Christian Coptic church believes to contain at very least the actual ark and at most a, a replica of the Ark of the Covenant. But it's so amazing that, that this is the story of the Jewish people and their trials and tribulations over thousands of years that we've tried to digest into just one short episode. And it's interesting that Cassius Dio says at the end at Masada, 580,000 Jewish men were slaughtered by the Romans. That really was a death knell for the Jewish people. Mm -hmm. 
their story is just an incredible story. I mean, you, you, you shed tears. You have, you, have, you have such incredible highs, David and Solomon, the golden age. Of course, we've left Jesus out of this because um, it, it was in ancient Israel that Jesus was born. Um, and supposedly that this was a man of history. And there are some records that are cropping up here and there to substantiate things that are in the Bible. But that this man was born in Jerusalem, in the kingdom of David, that he was a descendant of King David, and that he was the founder of the world's biggest religion. You're right. He was born in Bethlehem, where David was also born. Yeah, died in Jerusalem. Correct, you died in Jerusalem. So, and, and funny enough, then I think believe David also died in Jerusalem, but I'm not 100% sure of that. But, but yes, so he was descendant of David. So, so it has a link right through. Very, very interesting period of history. I'm delighted we've covered it, and I hope you're ready for more in season four. Blind History is brought to you by Taylor Blinds and Shutters. All the episodes are available on the cliffcentral.com website and app as well as Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. The Philistines came from an area or a town called Gath, and that's where the word git comes from. <laughs> <laughs> so they got a bit of a rough break.